Today we are going to study a passage from the Bible that contains two little short stories and a simple parable. You might like to open your Bibles at Luke chapter 13 and verse 1. I've called this sermon, Pilate, the Tar, and the Fig Tree. This is a passage that you probably have never heard expounded, and yet it's quite relevant for our lives today, in particular how we react uh, in the face of human tragedy. Now, to understand the impact of this rather unusual part of Jesus' teaching, we need to remember the situation in which these words occurred. At the time when Jesus was walking the paths of Palestine, political tension, of course, was pulsating through the land. We've had our 30 years of trouble in Ulster. There it had been going on for much longer, and those Roman legions who occupied Palestine were much more ruthless and brutal than any regiment that's ever been stationed in Ulster. So there was a real hostility amongst the people. And as we know, a strong nationalist fervor at the time of Jesus, which definitely was influencing people's ideas, especially about the promised Messiah. It was generally accepted amongst the people that Jesus taught that the Messiah would be someone who would lead a rebellion and rid the land of its Roman occupiers. And we know from the Jewish historian Josephus who was writing about this time that there were rumors and uh, actual uh, rumors of massacres and uprisings and actual uprisings and massacres. All sorts of trouble was going on. So that's the background. And so we come to our story, Luke 13. Jesus is in Galilee. Some men have come to him as he's teaching, and they uh, speak to him about a particularly gruesome killing that Pilate, the Roman governor, has carried out in the very temple in Jerusalem. The temple has been desecrated by Roman soldiers actually entering the temple and killing some folk from Galilee while they were actually there in worship and making sacrifice. To give a, a, a modern-day equivalent, we would, it would be something like some gunmen bursting into our church building when we're in the middle of a communion service and spraying the congregation with bullets. You can imagine how such a story would cause shock and horror and indeed disgust. Now, whether these men were actually passing on what was only a rumor which had little resemblance to what had actually happened, or whether they were stating literally what had happened, we don't know. And in fact, we're not certain uh, why uh, Jesus had to be told at this time, interrupting the flow of his teaching that you'll see in those chapters just before. But the men come, they bring this to him. It might be that they were simply doing uh, what any of us would do. We hear of some tragedy that occurs. We meet people, we say, have you heard the news? Perhaps, of course, it was uh, something with more sinister motivation. Were they telling Jesus about this to, to test him out, to see uh, what his political soundness was like, to see if he was a true patriot, to see if he was willing to condemn the Roman authorities? Well, on the other hand, maybe they had come to Jesus to make him say something, to tempt him to say something that could compromise him so that they could get him arrested and out of the way. However they came, 
What came back was a complete surprise to them. His answer was unexpected, as I'm sure it was to you when you read it today. He looked at the thing from a completely different angle from everyone else. When they tell him of this massacre, he responds, Do you think that those Galileans were worse sinners than any other Galileans because they suffered in this way? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. And before they have time to recover and react to this strange reply, he goes on to, to refer to another tragedy, another loss of life. He says to them, what about those 18 who perished when the tower in Siloam fell on them? Do you think that they're more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will perish. The men who came to Jesus were asking what about the suffering of those good men struck down, slaughtered by our enemy? Jesus answers, what about the suffering of those people killed in the collapse of the tower at Siloam? A very strange answer. What was Jesus getting at? Sometimes those who suffer one type of oppression can quickly assume that theirs is the only suffering that matters and a deep indifference can develop to the, to the suffering of others. We see it here in Ulster, each side nursing its own hurts, disregarding the other's pain. Jesus isn't willing to allow the focus on suffering to be narrowed to one group, however grim their, grim their experiences. There are many types of suffering, many types of victim of suffering. God's concerned about them all. So often we can get obsessed with our own individual suffering, our group suffering, that we ignore the rest. Jesus wasn't prepared for that. But of course, the big problem for us is this. Did he need to say to these people at the end of his reply, unless you repent, you too will all perish. What was he getting at here? Let's come to the story of Anders Breering Breivik and the sad loss of lives last Friday week in Norway. A roughly equivalent massacre. Is repentance where you would begin when you hear of such a thing? Not at all. If the love of Christ has touched our hearts at all, we'll weep with the poor parents who've lost their children. We'll grieve with those stunned teenagers who stand amidst the carnage, having witnessed the murders of their closest friends. Weep with those who weep. That's what the Scripture says. Isn't that where we begin? It's where you go next that Jesus is dealing with here in Luke 13. We don't know how many days after the massacre it was when the men came to Jesus arriving with the news. Indeed, we don't know if this was something even that had happened months before and they were just wanting Jesus to comment on it. But what Jesus is talking about here is how we react after the initial shock and sorrow and grief is past. You see, you can react 
after some horrible event by focusing only on how horrible those bad people are over there. You can become quite superior in your attitude, self-righteous even. I thank you, Lord, that I'm not like those people. We can forget the powerful parable of Jesus about the moat and the blank. If you look at this passage, the verses before you, what Jesus seems to be saying is this, you want me to condemn evil in Pilate. Pilate's not here. I'm not talking to Pilate. I'm talking to you. There's evil in you as well, and unless you repent and change your ways, you too will be destroyed. They wanted him to acknowledge how evil Pilate was. He wanted them to realize how serious evil was in their own hearts. And that was the only evil, the only evil that they were in any position to do anything about. How does this apply to us? As we, as the burials have begun, still feel the sadness and disgust at events like those in Norway. Jesus wants us to weep with those who weep. He wants us to feel their pain and share their sorrow. He wants us to pray for them and show our sympathy. But where does he want us to go next? That's the question being addressed, I believe, in Luke 13. He doesn't want such a tragedy to fuel our sense of moral superiority. He wants it to motivate us to examine our own lives, for that's where repentance begins, in self-examination. In the light of that tragic expression of hatred and prejudice and evil, he wants us to ask ourselves, is there anything of Anders Breivik in my life? Is there any hatred, prejudice, violence in my life here in Belfast? And as we think of those whose lives influenced that mass murderer across the years, we need to think of those whose lives have interacted with our own, who've been influenced by us. Have I done anything, have I said anything that might have influenced someone around me to hatred of another, to prejudice, to evil? Have I tolerated anything in my family or amongst my associates that would allow the growth of hatred, prejudice, and evil? More positively, have I done anything that overcomes hatred, prejudice, and evil in my own situation here? Unless Anders Breivik repents, he will perish. But Jesus also says to us, unless you repent, you too will perish. The trials and tragedies of life, the hurts and injustices we experience have scarred our souls and in some cases hardened our hearts. We need as Christian people to search our hearts and uncover every attitude that is displeasing to God. We need to use the shock of an event like that in Norway. We need to use the shock that such a massive act of evil causes to shake us up to make us look within ourselves, to make us turn round and to, to give us a new determination to start to walk again closer to Jesus Christ. We could stop here, but Jesus doesn't. 
he adds to his teaching, as you see there, at verse 6, a little parable. And this parable is part of the package. A man, he says, had a fig tree planted in his vineyard. And he went to look for fruit on it, but didn't find any. And so he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, For three years now I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? Sir, the man replied, Leave it alone for one more year and I'll dig round it and fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. By the way, it was quite common to have a fig tree growing in a vineyard. And as you've seen from looking at the story, it's very similar to that prophecy we read in Isaiah 5, except for one crucial difference. In Isaiah, the prophet tells the people that they've been unfaithful, they've been sinful, and that they're going to be destroyed. That's the ending the people who listened to Jesus would have been expecting. But Jesus gives a new twist to the story. The gardener pleads with the owner that the fig tree should be given one more chance, and then if there's no fruit, it should be destroyed. This parable is placed here because Jesus is bringing to us in it the gospel. Here's the good news he brings. God is not just a God of judgment. He's a God of mercy, a God of the second chance. We may have done wrong. When we've seen evil in another's life, it may, remind, it may have reminded us of evil in our own. We may be living in a way that's not good, isn't pleasing to God. We may feel that we've made a mess of things. Jesus says God wants to give us one more chance. Imagine your life as a vineyard. And every part of life and every different relationship in life is a different tree in that vineyard. What's the tree in your life that's not bearing fruit? What's the fig tree? It might be how you get on with your spouse or a child or a brother or a neighbor or, or a workmate? What's the fig tree? Where in the vineyard of your life is that lack of good fruit, that barrenness? That's the tree, that's the place that we, start, we need to start digging around and cultivating and doing some work on. What we do there that change of direction to do something, that realignment of life, that's what repentance is. And in acknowledging what's wrong and in refocusing our lives, we discover that God gives us the strength and the wisdom in the vineyard of our lives to produce good fruit and become the wholesome, happy, fulfilled individuals that God intended us to be. Anders Breivik has been the author of unimaginable evil. We hope and pray that we will not see the like of him again. But none of us is without sin. We can't do anything about Anders Breivik, but we can do something about our own lives. So the challenge of Christ to us today is this. Examine your life. 
change your ways and enjoy the fruits of repentance. God in his mercy is willing to give each one of us a second chance. Will we take it? Will you? Let's pray. Merciful God, you've called us to bear good fruit in our lives, to show evidence of our faith by producing a rich harvest of the fruits of the Spirit. You've also told us to remove the plank from our own eyes before we remove the speck from our brothers. Lord Jesus, we remember those challenging words of yours, let him who is without sin cast the first stone. In this world of unimaginable evil, help us to look beyond the sins of others and see the faults within ourselves. And help us to repent, to turn from those sins, that we too may be saved from your judgment. And as we seek to make changes in our lives, come in your mercy. Give us in our weakness the strength that comes from you. Forgive our sins. Deliver us from evil. And help us in the coming week to live a life that is more pleasing to you. And all of this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.